You are listening to the sermon podcast of Connection Church, a gospel-centered community on a mission to make much of Jesus in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. For more information, visit SiouxFallsConnection.com. Thank you for listening. While you're being seated, I want to invite you, if you will, to join me in opening a Bible into Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible or a device that will get to you, get you to one, you'll see a paperback Bible in the chair and the rack that's in front of you. And, and if you don't own a Bible, I would invite you to allow us to make that a gift to you, to take home with you. Uh, we want to put as many copies of God's Word into people's hands as possible. And in fact, if you know someone who doesn't own a Bible, please take that, make that a gift to them. And as you're kind of making your way there, even if you have to find your way through the table of contents or, or if Google can help you, don't, don't be ashamed. We we, we love to open the Bible where this is the first time or the thousandth time that we find that there's treasures in there for all of us. And so I want to say welcome. And if, if you're a guest with us this, this evening, I want to draw your attention to something very briefly. You'll, you'll see a card in one of those baskets. We also see a QR code on the back of a chair in front of you. And if you're a guest with us, we would love to welcome you, say thank you. Uh, I, know, I know what an act of courage it is to come into a strange place with people you don't know. And so this is our way of simply saying thank you. If you'll, if you'll scan that QR code, it would get you to a link. And, uh, and if you'll fill that out, we won't spam you, but we would love to also just give you a gift. On your way out, you, I'll invite you to introduce yourself to one of our welcome, uh, our welcome team that have a, a T-shirt that says welcome uh, to identify, in case you got that confused. I just did. And so they would love to give you a gift box, which is just simply our way of saying thank you. Thank you for coming to join us this, mo- this evening. I'm going to say this morning. I'm going to figure it out. Um, this evening. And so uh, we want to give you a gift to say thank you, especially if this is one of the first times you've joined us. And so uh, we're going to read out of Matthew chapter 6 in a passage of Scripture that, as a church, we've been walking through for the last couple of months. And we find ourselves in the most famous public teaching recorded by, by any, uh, any sort of document, and it's Jesus speaking to a group of people in his kind of his first address, as Matthew tells us, and it's known as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, we're in the most famous part of the Sermon on the Mount, which is known as the Lord's Prayer. And so we're going to read the passage of Scripture that introduces us to it, uh, verse 5 of chapter 6. And this is one of the first times you've opened a Bible. The big numbers are the chapter and the small numbers are verses to help us to to simply identify them. We're going to start in verse 5 and read all the way through verse 15. But when we get uh, to the latter half of verse 9, I want to invite you to join me and we're going to read this together. And so... um, if you've got in front of you, we're going to, in this sense, as we've been preparing for the last couple of weeks as a church, we're going to read this Lord's Prayer together. And he's going to tell us how not to read in the first few verses. We're going to read it together, and then he's going to conclude how we pray. And then I'm going to walk us through, I think, a couple of encouragements that we find in this passage. So I'll begin in verse 5. You'll jump in with me at the end or in the middle of verse 9 when he says, pray like this. I want to encourage you to Pray aloud with me. Verse 5 begins this way, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, they, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. 
Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Well, as many of you may remember, in 2016, we got together on a Good Friday. At that time, as a church, we were meeting in an elementary school, and a local church was kind enough to allow us to use their building. And they were generous and kind and hosted us, and we got to do this. And so this is an attempt to celebrate and commemorate what Christians over the centuries have known as Good Friday. And I want to convince you in our time together, in light of the prayer that we just prayed together, that all of our deepest needs and longings are expressed right here in this prayer. And they are answered and met in what we gather to celebrate tonight. All of our deepest needs, all of our deepest desires and longings are expressed here in their most ultimate sense in this prayer. And they're all answered, they're all met, every single one of them, in what we commemorate tonight together. Specifically, I want to speak to some of you who maybe tonight you would say that you would are hurting, afraid, angry, unsure. I want to speak to the circumstances that in life we think and we think of as dark and difficult. And I want to encourage you with a hope that comes in this prayer and in what we celebrate tonight. That your pain and suffering is not meaningless or ignored. And that there is a God who will answer our ultimate prayers. And the death of Jesus meets our needs and forgives our sins by fulfilling the ultimate demands of a righteous and holy and perfect God and paying in His own blood the ultimate price, a life through death. Now on Sunday we get to celebrate the answer to the end of the prayer. That the resurrection of Jesus leads us into paths of righteousness and ultimately delivers us from evil. But let's understand some parts of this prayer. and Let's understand how then it's answered and what we commemorate tonight. And I think it will be an encouragement for you as we prepare to celebrate the vindicating and victorious resurrection of Jesus on Sunday. So let's look at the prayer. And then we'll reflect on the answer to that prayer. The, the prayer can be divided into two parts that we're going to be spending our time on. We'll be in verse 11 and verse 12. Give us this day our daily bread, a prayer for provision. And verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now last week we walked through the first half of this prayer that, that introduces us to seeing God as a father. A father who welcomes the petitions of his children. And in light of that, and, and hallowing the, the goodness of God and His name, the unnamed one, we begin to request, in light of Him being our Father, the things that we need. And, and Jesus shows us here, in the first part, the, 
the provide for us, verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus shows us that it's not only permissible and tolerable that we present our needs to God, it's also right and good. It's a weird phrase, this, this word daily translated there is only found here. And you'll see in different translations kind of the trouble with translating it. Quite literally, it, it, it's, a, it's a compound word that it only shows up right here. It's as if Jesus pulls it out as some sort of like a, a poetic picture that would kind of emphasize the request. And quite literally, it's put together, it means like ongoing existence, right? So he's like, give us the bread of my ongoing existence, right? Like, bread. Would you like some rye bread? Would you like some, <laughs> would you like some sourdough? I'd like the bread of my ongoing existence. That's, that's what he's saying here. Lord, give us the bread that sustains our existence. And the best way the translators can come up with answering that is question of what it is, is daily, right? Whether it's today or tomorrow, but, but in an ongoing way, a momentary way. Give us this bread. But he says, give us. Give us the bread through which we get our ongoing existence. Not just me, but you get this picture of abundance. God, give us as, in, as if to say, give me enough that there's enough for a crowd. Give us enough so that the people in need would have enough. And we would have an ongoing dependence upon this bread. Now this seems like the easiest thing to pray for. Praying for the things that you need. But I want you to realize there's a, a danger here if you miss what Jesus is teaching us to do. I want you to think of it this way. What we trust in to get us through the day is an indicator of what rules our lives. What we look to or trust in or hope in, what gets you up in the morning, what gets you out of bed, reveals something about what you really submit to, what rules your life. In this sense, what fuels or carries you in your ongoing existence. It's the source of life, whether you mean to admit it or not. It's the thing you believe you need to survive. And so how do we understand this bread that he's talking about? Well, for those of us who've been walking through this book together, this shouldn't sound unfamiliar to us. But we have to roll back to chapter 4 when Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness by Satan. And the first temptation Satan offers to Jesus as he's hungering and fasting for 40 days he says, how about you take, oh, there are stones around you. There's only stones around you. How about you take one of these stones and turn it into bread? As if to ask Jesus, how are you going to make it? With how hungry and how you're starved. How are you going to survive? Oh, there's only rocks out here. What you need to do is to turn these stones into bread. But notice the devil isn't just saying, feed yourself. Because Jesus' immediate response is to quote out of the book of Deuteronomy from the people who were being sustained by God in the wilderness with manna that fell from heaven, manna that, that, that wasted away and, and rotted and spoiled and collected worms if they tried to save it up for more than one day. And he quotes this, this passage and says that man does not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So, so notice that this picture of bread here goes back to when Jesus was in the wilderness and Satan tempted him with bread. But it wasn't just that he wanted Jesus to feed himself. Satan was saying, look to me. Look to me for what you need to get through the day. 
Now, I mentioned this, uh, a paraphrase from a, a person, a, an author that, that says it this way, and I said it last week, that in this sense, the devil isn't just trying to tempt Jesus, the devil is trying to adopt Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to look to him for something that only comes from our Heavenly Father. And it sounds a lot like the first story in the garden, right? This picture of this man and a woman having everything they need. Walking in the presence of God. And what does Satan come and ask? Did God really say? As if to say, has God really said everything he needs to say to you? Has God given you everything? It seems like God's trying to keep you or keep from you what you need. It seems like God is trying to withhold something that would make you joyful. God's really not that good. You can't trust God today, and you can't trust God with your future. And so this temptation that we see here that Jesus experiences isn't just about hunger and bread. It's about what you think or see in your life as the ultimate authority. What is God? And he's saying there's a way to pray here that, that encourages us to consider the possibility that God is a loving and good father. He'll say this later. He'll compare. He says, like, even a good father, right, who's, who's even kind of flawed and he even says wicked, when the son, when if a child asks even a decent father for, for bread, he wouldn't give him a stone, And he's saying here, you can trust God with your ongoing existence. You can trust God with it all. It doesn't mean that your questions will go away. It doesn't mean that your life will turn out like you want it to. But it means you can trust God with all of it. And that's the temptation from the beginning. That's the temptation for you and I today. And that is our upcoming temptation. And Jesus saying, this is what your prayer ought to look like. Now, you and I would love to have everything we need for all the days of our life in our bank account right now. And he's saying, it is more powerful that you have a father than a big bank account. It is more powerful that you have a father who owns everything than it is that you would have everything you think you need to get through. And it's more important that you trust your father daily. than were you to have everything you think you would need for the rest of your life? Because that's the question that's posed to all of us, right? Every day. What do I do if everything fails? What do I do? I won't have a future. What do I do if I lose my health, if I lose my family, if I lose my job, if I lose my status, if I lose my reputation? What will I do? And we find here that Jesus tells us you can pray this way because you can trust the Father. Side note here, we often think that God's provision is a grace, but notice what he tells us here. Not only is the provision that God gives us a grace, but the daily hunger is a grace. The daily need is actually a grace that keeps you and I from wandering into things that will never satisfy us. Your current hunger your current dissatisfaction, your, your current discontentment in relationships and your own life, your current frustration, your current pain and disappointment might actually be a grace to remind you 
that the Father will give you what you need both today and every day that you live. We want to be self-sufficient, and we think that's the source of joy. And he says, if you start seeing this Father rightly, you'll realize that self-sufficiency isn't the joy. Knowing that you have a Father is. Our daily hunger is not a flaw, it's a feature. It keeps us looking outside of ourselves for sustenance. We get our daily provision from the Father. And you can trust the Father. How do I know this? Because in Christ, while you may have fears about how things could go awful, in Christ, the worst thing that could possibly happen to anyone has happened to Christ instead. And the best thing that could happen to anyone has happened to us because of Christ. What do I do if I fail? What do I do if my marriage fails? What if my kids rebel? What if I get sick? What if I lose everything that, value, that I value? Each and every one of us is praying for daily bread, and it shows that we think that if we don't feed ourselves, then we won't really be fed. And the end of the story, I want to remind you, at the end of this book is where all of God's people gather around for a wedding feast, and they scarf. Second part of this, after praying for provision, you see he begins to pray for protection. He leads us to pray for protection. Now, where do I get that? He says, forgive us of our debts, but he doesn't stop there. He, he says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, where do I get protection? He's saying that there is a, a connection between the forgiveness and grace that we are experiencing and the forgiveness and grace that we are able to give to others in the same way that whatever we trust to get us through the day reveals what we ultimately value. How we forgive is an indicator of what rules our lives. And unforgiveness is a way of trying as hard as you can to protect yourself. Now, you may not have thought of, this, of it this way, but he connects our forgiving of others to the forgiveness that we were experienced from the Father. Now, is he saying that God won't forgive you until you forgive, like you will earn God's forgiveness? No, the rest of the book of Matthew would, would tell us something very different. But he is saying something very intense, is he not? Remember, he's already, he's already used hyperbole up to this point, used some pretty wild, uh, pr pretty extreme sorts of like exaggeration to prove the point, point. he does it again. He says, if you're not forgiving others, it shows that you don't have forgiveness, and unforgiveness is a way of saying that I want to keep myself safe. It's a way to keep yourself from being hurt, isn't it? You hold something against a person in order to keep them at a safe distance. And Jesus says here, you can trust the Father to protect you by forgiving you. And he says something profound here, doesn't he? Like, in essence, the prayer is like, forgive me in the future the way I forgive people in the present. That's a bold prayer, isn't it? And you want to say, he must mean something else. But instead, what he's, what he's pointing at is that we regularly want to say something like, how can I get forgiveness for me? How can I get mercy and grace for me, while still holding on to a record of your debt, right? How can I get forgiveness while I still hold a grudge against you? 
We want to look for a way out. And Jesus is simply saying here that you will begin to show what you really value and love and what is ultimate in your life by how you see forgiveness. You can see whether or not you have believed and been changed by this good news of God's grace just by seeing how you forgive people who have hurt you. You can see whether or not you really trust the Father. It's a useful tool. Just seeing how you respond, knowing that you're a sinner and forgiven, and now have the opportunity to turn around and forgive someone else. Now, I'll be clear here. It's not saying that what was done to you is okay. It's not saying that how you were hurt is justifiable. It's not saying there should be no justice, and it's not saying that it should be minimized and there's no consequences. Instead, it's as if it's saying here, what you have done to me, I'm going to entrust to my Father. What you've done to me, I'm going to trust to the Father. And I'll trust that He will either enact justice for you at the cross, or He will enact justice at the seat of judgment. Justice will be done. And so, I don't have to seek it on my own terms. Because I know that God's forgiven me. He will do the right thing. And how we forgive reveals what really rules our lives. In fact, our lack of forgiveness will be a signal to what God we're really serving. The way we think we can, we're justified in retaliating, right? I can expect God to forgive me, but when someone else wrongs me, Oh, it's sacrilegious. How dare you? Down deep, what we're saying is, if I don't protect myself, if I don't keep these people at a distance, I won't be protected. And in the first prayer, we're tempted to think that dependence is weakness. And in the second prayer, we're tempted to think that forgiveness is weakness. But not for Jesus, it isn't. So what for us? The death of Jesus pays the price for both our provision and our protection. What we commemorate on this Good Friday is that the death of Jesus had meaning. The death of Jesus had purpose. It accomplished something. It answered these two prayers. Now, surely you might be asking, especially if you're in this room, maybe you're not a Christian or you're not sure or you're, you're curious about what it is that these Christians believe or celebrate. Why would we get together on a Friday night like this? And maybe you're thinking, like, how can death accomplish anything, right? Maybe you're, you're thinking, we're, we're modern, enlightened people. How, how could we think something so archaic, right? How could we think something so, uh, so, so primitive that, that blood and sacrifice would somehow atone for or make up for a certain thing? But I want you to, to, to be challenged on that. Look closely at what you believe and practice even in the given day. You and I are given life by death. Every single meal that anyone has ever provided for you costs the life of something. Every single one. The only exception I can think of is milk. Uh, but if there are any nursing mothers in the room, they would be like, that's, yes, it costs. That's very, right? They would, oh, that, 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 that's on the list, right? Every single meal that was provided for you and prepared for you in your entire life costs the life of something. 
whether it was a hamburger, a steak, or chicken, right? It cost the life of something. Something died so that you could say, mmm. Right? And maybe you're like, well, I'm vegan. It's not, well, okay, so, all right, you, you're the worst. Like, a, like a, a, a bowl of salad is like a mass murder. Like, do you know all the plants that died? It's like a, and I'm, I'm right with you, salsa is my, I believe salsa is the greatest thing on earth. And it's same thing, it's like a, it's a slurry of death. Like, how many of these things, again, that's, remember, you were, you were thinking like, oh, that's archaic, that's primitive. That is the most true thing that you experience in every square meal you, ex, you, you get to enjoy. A bunch of stuff died. And even if you're like, well, I waited until it fell off the tree and then I ate it. Either way, you got to celebrate its decay. And I want you to consider something. Is it possible that's not an accident? Is it possible that's a blueprint designed into all of the world? Is it possible that that is a picture that you and I get to experience every single day that is so ingrained into us, it's actually, it's actually designed into life? Because after all, on a day like today, we commemorate the death of Jesus, and we celebrate it. But after all, the darkest day for a cow or the darkest day for a tomato plant brought you a meal. Is it so wild to believe that that thing that's true for you every time you are sustained is actually built into the universe by a creator? such that the darkest of all days for Jesus was the brightest of all days for fallen, sinful humanity? Christ's death secures the forgiveness of our sins that sustains us, provides for us, gives us our ongoing existence, and reconciles us to the Father. And Jesus, even in the Gospel of John, will tell us that he says, I am the bread of life. And it's beautiful that these prayers we offer that give us our daily bread, sustain us, and then protect us in forgiving us so that we can forgive others. Notice, Jesus doesn't put us on a low-carb diet. He gives all of himself. He answers these prayers and feeds us in the most costly way by giving of himself. Everything costs. Even bread is feasting on the death of wheat. And so for us, to begin to experience this is to begin to understand what it is that we celebrate on something like a Good Friday. After all, how on earth can we call the worst possible day where the most innocent man was betrayed, brought up on false and trumped up charges in a corrupt, shadowy, you know, right back back alley deal to where he was publicly executed for crimes that he did not commit. And we call all of that good. Every calendar you can buy will call today a good Friday. Isaiah 55 gives a preview of this. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, and without price. The feast that we get to enjoy was purchased by another. So here's what this, I believe, means for us. All that was lost at that tree in the garden was bought back 
on a tree on a mountain called Golgotha. And the cross shows us a dependent Jesus hanging in the place of criminals. And one of his last words were right out of this prayer for you and me. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And instead of wondering or worrying about our future or our safety, we look to how the Father has dealt with Jesus. What's the Father done with him? He has received him and vindicated him in resurrection. This means that you and I can have hope in difficult circumstances. Because after all, if we can call the worst day in history good, then it means that our needs and our pain and suffering are not meaningless. And we don't like to talk about it. Yet no one would, ex- would deny its existence in the world. The suffering you experience and the suffering you and I see. This is just the top three off the last few days. Images that you see right now of violence in Ukraine. Images of violence in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Images of violence in a New York City subway. And in the last two years, we've all experienced tremendous loss. And if it wasn't from someone that this virus proved to be fatal... At the very least, we all lost what we thought was comfortable and normal. We lost our ability to think we knew what was going to happen next. And while we may be tempted to believe that things are at their best when we look the most successful and like we have them all together, the cross teaches us that in fact we're the most successful when we experience God's presence in the midst of suffering. And we sing about blood and suffering. Why would we do that? The fact that we can sing about blood and suffering shows the good news that we can trust our Father and sing in the midst of the worst possible circumstances. Let me put it to you this way. Whatever happens to me, even a cross, my future is safe and secure. That's what we're invited to experience here. That Jesus paid this price for us and we get to benefit from it. Romans 8 says it this way, He that is the Father who did not spare His own Son but gave Him up for us all, how will will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? If Jesus would give His own very life for us, then here's what we know. We can trust God to provide for you and to protect you because Jesus paid for both on Good Friday. Will you to imagine something? Jesus here is the bread of our ongoing existence. Do you know one of the most, as we think about what it means to come to a father, this is the picture I want to leave with you, one of the most universal stances of submission, of surrender, and crying out for help is cruciform. One of the most universal ways that a child reaches to a father is cruciform. He is the bread of our ongoing existence. He is the power of forgiveness to experience it and then so much so pass it on. So there's two ways to respond. The first, turn to faith or turn to Christ in faith. Pray this prayer even, even in the moments to come. Pray this prayer. God, take care of me. God, sustain me. Give me what I need to get through the day. I don't deserve it, but God, give it to me in a second. God, forgive me. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve what you've done for me, but give it to me anyway. 
For some of you, it may mean scan that QR code. You'll see one of, the, one of the parts of that link is an invitation to, if you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, to be baptized, to make this kind of death to self and resurrection in Christ public, we would love to answer any questions you may have. That may be one of the steps for you. Come talk to me after this evening. Some of our volunteers would love to pray with you. Here's another possible response. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to celebrate communion, and we're going to sing in faith. And for you, maybe the response is to sing in faith. Tonight could be the beginning of a new and eternal life for you by faith. A new life where you know that because of Christ, neither suffering nor death will last forever. Here's the second way to respond. You celebrate Christ's sacrifice in communion. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for us that we prepare our hearts to do something Christians do. We take a broken piece of bread that symbolizes the broken body of Christ, and we consume grape juice that symbolizes the shed blood of Christ. In a moment, I'm going to pray for us, and I would ask you to begin to prepare yourself. This is for Christians who are baptized and repentant. If you're not a Christian, then then I I just want you to behold a mystery. To, To partake in communion would be to have a very unsatisfying snack. But for those of us who have cried out to God for provision and forgiveness and protection, we behold a mystery, the body of Christ broken for us, the blood of Christ poured out for us. Let's pray together. God, thank you so much for your goodness towards us. Thank you for your mercy towards us. Thank you that everything we need you have supplied for us in Christ. We ask that we would receive it now by faith. Maybe if there's some in the room that we doubt and wonder that you really are good, help us to behold the mystery. Help us to contemplate and even begin to to wonder at and, and even consider the possibility that this thing you have done for us in Christ is actually what you have meant to build the world around. And like every meal that sustains us through the loss of some other kind of life, we are sustained eternally by the loss of the life of the perfect Son of God. Help us to turn from sin now to receive that satisfaction. Help us to cry out to you to to find relief in suffering from the one who suffered on our behalf. Help us to find hope and family as we're met at a table, not with condemnation, but with joy and welcome. Help us to celebrate this together in Jesus' name. Amen.